You're listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. How do you guys like the rain? By a show of oh gosh, man! You know, I've been I've been watching on Facebook all these people doing their happy dance and everything because the rain's finally here, and I'm just telling you guys. I, every year it does this to me. I'm just like, will you guys just pack your stuff up and head north to Portland, Oregon? Because right here, this is California, and it's supposed to be sunny. <sighs> it's all right. I, I, I was looking back. It's kind of personal, but kind of funny. Um, I keep a, you know, kind of a, a journal to help me remember my life because I've, I've lost a big portion of my existence. It's just gone. And so I decided several years ago to start kind of writing things down, and it's amazing at how I can go back and I can read these things. And um, a couple days ago, I was reading through my journal, and I was reading back to January, or actually, I think it was the end of December of 2007. And um, it's really funny to read, but I was like negotiating with God about winter. I was like, okay, God, this is the year that I'm going to get through it with a smile on my face. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to get depressed. I'm just going to keep smiling. And and uh, actually, I've done a lot better since then, but I do not like the rain. So um, there you have it. So if you love the rain, I love you, but that's about all. So tonight, um, tonight I'm, uh, I'm really excited tonight, um, but I have to tell you that tonight is one of those nights where we're going to be talking about some stuff that um, can be a little heavy. You know, we did worship a little different tonight. We did some acoustic worship and and. A little bit shorter, we're at the end tonight, we're going to have a little bit more time to just talk to God and get really real with God because what we're going to be talking about tonight um, corresponds with the thing that we've been continuing to go through over the course of the last six weeks or so, the, this concept of darkness and light, the kingdom of the enemy versus the kingdom of God. We've read in the scripture, in First Peter, it's, God says, so that you, meaning us, can show others the goodness of God. This powerful statement, he says, he's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. When we think about that concept of being pulled out of something, you have to get in your minds tonight this concept of rescue, this concept of somebody pulled you out of something that was killing you. And we have to start from there tonight. We have to start from this concept that if you're sitting in this room tonight and you have opened your heart up to the gospel of Christ and you have accepted his message of love and hope into your life, that literally it's like a drowning person that is in a swimming pool that is on their last gasp and they are just floundering and somebody came along and grabbed you and pulled you out and all of a sudden you can <sighs> breathe deep again. And that's kind of a shocking statement. It's kind of heavy. And that's where we're starting tonight. Because I believe that God wants to do some deep things inside of us. And in order for deep things to happen, sometimes you have to get to where the deep issues lie. And that's where we're going tonight. We know that there's two distinguishing things that we've been talking about on Saturday nights that separate these two kingdoms. And they are darkness and light. They're markers. There's things that we can point to and we can say without any doubt that is of God and that is of the devil. That that is good and that is not good. And we've been tearing apart this concept that everything about God 
is directly associated with light and goodness. And the opposite is that everything that is evil, everything that is bad, every addiction, every cancer, every painful thing in your life, we associate with the enemy. And we look at it and we say, that's not God's heart. That's not what God intended when he created this world. In Matthew chapter 6, we read again tonight the, the, the prayer that Jesus said. He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon and may your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. I want to stop right there because tonight we're going to be focusing upon what does that really mean to have God's kingdom come to earth. I showed you guys a picture up behind me of this world and how we see this, this glorious crown which represents God and we see it coming down with an arrow to our world that is currently full of darkness. And we've talked about the fact that Satan has been able to just ravage this place that we call home. We have seen the effects of it in our relationships. We've seen the effects of it in our emotions. We've seen the effects of it in the way that we try to manage life. But by and large, we've been bombarded with darkness. We've been bombarded with ugly, destructive forces. And so we see this picture of the kingdom of God, that crown, coming to the center and beginning to spread the light, beginning to take ground, beginning to push back the forces of darkness and beginning to allow something different to be, begin to emerge. And we talked last week about the fact that God is all about repossession. He wants his creation back. He wants to get back what was lost from him. And in order for that to take place, you and I must understand what happened when Jesus came. We talk about the cross. We talk about Jesus's message. We read in the Bible tons and tons of stories and accounts week after week about Jesus's heart and what Jesus came and how he connected with people and how he loved people right where they were at, how he healed blind eyes and raised people literally from the dead. All these amazing things that Jesus did, but at the center of all of it, you must understand that it was all for one reason that Jesus came to be with us and to do all of those things. And that reason was because there was a point in time when you and I were drowning in a swimming pool and God looked down and said, enough is enough. I'm going to pull you out and I'm going to rescue you. And at that moment, when Jesus came and Jesus hung on the cross and Jesus bled his blood and he died and he let God literally unleash all of the pain and all of the wrath and all of the injustice of everything that this sin had caused, Jesus took it all. At that moment, you and I became free. You and I had an opportunity to be able to connect with God, the creator of this world, and we had the ability to become free. But I want you to look at the picture behind me. Because you see that picture right there is not completely full of light. That dark sphere has a lot of darkness in it still. That dark sphere has a lot of pain and brokenness and deception and bondage in it still. In other words, the job is not done. There is something that is happening that has to be completed. It started the moment Jesus died and came back to life and resurrected. And that moment that started is when the light began. But the job is not done. As we look right here, I want you guys to focus on this 
beautiful portrait that Cassie did for us tonight to be able to tune our hearts and to focus our minds on what we're talking about tonight. And I want to say something to you as you look at this and you understand the connotations that it brings. I want to say something to you that will hopefully cause you to begin to think in terms of a different way of living and in a different way of seeing the world around you. I know that in this room right now that there are people who do not have a relationship with God and that you probably have never even been in kind of a religious place before and this is new to you and I, and I want you to be open to hear what we talk about here tonight. But if you're here tonight and you call Christ your, your Savior and you've been involved in this transformation of opening your heart up to Him, then I want you to hear these words. Dustin, put the next screen up for me. Every follower of Christ is a member of an occupational force which has one purpose. One purpose is to enforce the victory of Calvary where Jesus died for us. That literally you and I have been placed in the center of that blackness to begin to watch and expand the kingdom of God in this darkness. And as we see this picture right here, and as we see this, this person that is clothed in armor with a cross in the middle, we must understand that the victory that Christ won for us on the cross must be enforced. Because it is something that the enemy is not going to allow to happen unless he is forced to allow it to happen. And all you have to do is look in your life and look at the lives of the people that you love and watch the way the enemy disrupts and watch the way that he does what he does. And tonight we're going to talk about what I believe is the biggest, most pivotal way that the enemy has tried to push back against the kingdom of God and prevent it from expanding. We've talked very openly about the fact that the enemy lies about God. The enemy lies about our relationship with God, and he does not want us to know our Father. He lies about him all the time. But I want to tell you tonight that what I believe is the biggest lie that has ever been told about God is that God sends people to hell. I believe that the biggest lie that the enemy has ever used against our Father is that he sends people to hell. I told you tonight was going to be kind of heavy. I told you that tonight we were going to be talking about some deep things that must be talked about because you and I live in a culture that has a concept of God that goes something like this. We believe that we live our life on this earth and God gives every person a little bit of time to be able to live on this earth and that at the end of the time that we've been on, on earth, if we've made the right choices by the end of our lives, then we go to heaven. But if we've made the wrong choices by the end of our lives, well, then God casts us into hell. And if we cry out for mercy, if we cry out to God and say, God, I, I, I don't want to go to hell, God says, no, it's too late. You had your chance. Now it's over, and now you have to suffer. This is the way that many of us think when it comes to our thoughts about God. And as a result of that, many of us in this room have said out loud with our own words or have heard somebody else say, I can't believe in a God that sends people to hell. How many of you have ever heard that? 
How many of you have ever heard that tone? How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever, I mean, if we get honest here, how many of you have ever felt that? I have. I've wrestled through this concept of, God, can, do you really send people to hell? Is that really what this is all about? Because in order for you and I to believe that about our God, we have to ignore every good thing about him because they are contrary one to another. And the reason that I say that it's the biggest lie that has ever been told about God is because if people believe that God is mean and angry with them, then they will never, ever come to him for the very thing that they need the most. They need to be able to come to him for the thing that will save them. They need to be able to come to him to receive the love and the mercy that only God can give. Now tonight, as we talk about this, we must understand what exactly is God's heart toward us, toward creation, and towards judgment. In one of the most famous stories in the Bible of Jesus talking to a man, a religious man, Jesus talks to this man named Nicodemus about what it is to know God. He begins to talk to him about the fact that, Nicodemus, you're a religious man and you know the Bible, you know the law, you should know how to know God. And yet Nicodemus still didn't get it. He comes to Jesus at night because he's embarrassed and he doesn't want anybody to see him. And he says to him, Rabbi or teacher, we all know you're from God. The things that you pull off, there is no way that you could do this unless you were from God. But you've got to tell me the real story, man. How do I know God myself? And Jesus begins to explain to him that just like you can't tell where the wind comes from or where it goes, you can see its effects. You can see the trees blowing. You can see it moving things around. He says, that's how it is with God. It's mysterious the way that God saves a man. But he says, you've got to know this. You've got to be born again. You've got to come alive because right now you're dead and God wants to make you come alive. Remember, we have been put in a swimming pool and we are drowning and we need somebody to pull us out. And in the middle of this concept, this teaching, Jesus says the most famous passage in the Bible in John 3.16, he says, For our God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting or eternal life. And then he says these powerful words. He says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but rather to save it. There is no judgment waiting for those who trust him. But those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only Son of God. Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world, but they loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness They stay away from the light for fear that their sins will be exposed and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly so that everyone can see that they are doing what God wants. In this story between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus begins to tell Nicodemus that light has penetrated 
the darkness. In other words, he said, before this moment, you had no hope. Before this moment, every single one of you were drowning in that pool and there was no choice in the matter. You could not rescue yourself. You could not get saved. There was nobody to pull you out until now. Light has come into the darkness. And then Jesus begins to paint this picture for us that is so powerful. And it is not a picture of anger. It is not a picture of God looking to send somebody to a bad place. It is the absolute opposite. It is the firefighter with the hose running into the burning building that is on fire saying, I've got to save as many as I can. Because if I don't, they all die. And many times we think in terms of of this concept of judgment and hell, and we don't understand that God has come to rescue lives. He has not come to destroy lives. And we get it backwards, my friends, so many times. And the lie perpetuates itself over and over again that God sends people to hell. And it causes us to recoil And to think, I could never love a God like that. In order for us to understand this concept, we must understand that hell is not just a place. Hell is really a condition. It's not just a geographical location. More than that, it is a state of being. You must understand that evil at its core is complete absence of God. That where there is evil, there is no God. And when we look at this world and we begin to get used to pain, and we begin to get used to darkness, and we begin to get accustomed to things going wrong, and things deteriorating, and disease spreading, and poverty running rampant, and abuse happening over and over and over again, we are being conditioned to a way of life that God says, I never created, I never intended, and I do not want, and it is hell. It is hell. There are people that we know, there are people sitting here in this room right now that are by the moment growing conditioned to living in hell and not even realizing it, not even recognizing it, not even knowing that God desires to pull them out. And day by day, they are getting closer and closer to succumbing completely to the darkness and to the pain and to the way of life that God cries out for us to reject and to get free from. And hell is spreading and overtaking at a rampant rate. In the book of Luke, we find a a story that is very, very telling about this whole concept. And in Luke chapter 16, I want to read this to you. Jesus tells a parable and he says, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. But at his door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. As Lazarus was laying there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to be at the place of the dead. 
while there in torment, he saw Lazarus the beggar in the far distance with Abraham. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's this great chasm separating us and anyone who wanted to cross over to you from here is stopped at its edge and no one can cross over to us. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them about this place of torment so that they won't have to come here when they die. But Abraham said, Moses and the other prophets have warned them already. Your brothers, they can read the writings anytime that they want to. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will return. Then they will turn from their sins. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they won't listen, even if someone rises from the dead. This story is so profound because what it demonstrates for us is the most blatant, most apparent, most obvious condition of a person's heart when they are struggling with this concept of God. See, this guy right here in this story, the Bible says was a rich man. It says he was clothed well, had everything that he wanted. And it says that after he died, he went to a place that was not good. And yet, even in this place, the story says that he still thought that he was rich. He still thought that he had the right and the authority to boss Lazarus around. He says in his arrogance, Abraham, tell Lazarus to get over here and put some water on my tongue. I'm hurting here and I need him to come and comfort me. Tell him to get over here. Steeped in his pride. Steeped in his arrogance that he still, even in this condition of after he's dead, thinking that somehow he has the right to take care of himself. I know what to do and you have to obey me. And the story goes that even though this rich man was in hell telling Abraham, do what I want you to do, he doesn't recognize that he is still gripped with the same condition that you and I are gripped with from the time that we're born on this earth. Pride. Self-reliance. I can do it myself. I don't need help. See, hell at its core, is a complete rejection of God. And it is a complete reliance on yourself. At its core, hell says, hell says, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need salvation. I'm fine. 
I don't need God. I'm fine. I can do it my way. See, it's not about God sending people to hell. It's about God getting out of the way and letting people have their own way. It is about God saying, I want to pull you out of the pool that you are drowning in and people saying, get your hand off of me. I would rather drown than accept help. For many of us, accepting help is the hardest thing that we can do. For many of us, we can go through absolute misery. We can go through absolute devastation before we will ever pick up the phone and ask somebody for help. Where does that come from? Why are we like that? My friends, it's because we live in a world of darkness that has lied to us about God and has told us you must take care of yourself. God is a God of anger and wrath and he'll send you to hell. You're in this world by yourself and this is as good as it's gonna get. And we've bought into this lie that keeps us from being able to ask for the very thing that we need most and that is help because it requires us to deny ourselves and put ourselves away. And God is saying, I have what you need. In the book of Romans chapter one, there's an interesting verse of scripture as Paul is expounding to this church. And he begins to talk about our hearts and our desires and our actions and our behaviors. And at the pivotal point in chapter one, in verse 24, he summarizes, summarizes its, its statement by saying, so God let them go ahead and do whatever their hearts desired. He got out of the way. And it says that they made a mess of their lives. They began to just watch their lives spiral out of control and things started happening that never should have happened because God got out of the way. See, hell is when God gives people what they want, their own way. When they get out of the way. You ever seen something happen in front of your eyes that you knew was wrong? An injustice? Something that when you saw it, you just knew that's not right. And it makes you feel inside like you want to get involved. Like you need to do something. Last night, we, uh, we went and rented a movie, me and my kids, and we have some family in town, and we we're all hanging out. And we saw the, the new remake of the movie, The Karate Kid. How many of you guys have seen... You guys all know the original, right? You guys all know Mr. Miyagi and, you know, the whole, oh, Danielson and all that stuff. So last night we were watching this remake and um, super cool movie, super well done. Only thing that was kind of weird about it is, you know, all the kids are like really little, beating each other up and stuff. And I'm like, man, these kids are 12 years old. They're bad, man. And they're doing all this stuff. But, you know, there's a scene in this movie where... You know, Will Smith's son is, is, you know, he's, if you don't know the movie, he moves over to a foreign land. He moves to China and he's like the, you know, one of the only American kids there. And so he's just getting his butt kicked on the playground. Like every day, these kids are just hammering him. 
And so there's this one scene where he's getting it bad. I mean, he's just getting beat up, and they're just gang fighting on him. And, and all of a sudden, this kid gets ready to, to just pound him. He's on the ground already, and you see the camera go like this, and then you can't really see it, but out of nowhere, this, this hand stops the, the fist. It just comes from out of nowhere, and it stops the blow. It stops the punch from, you know, just knocking him out for the last time. And in comes, you know, Jackie Chan. You know, he's going to come in here, and I'm just watching this. It's super cool. you got to see the movie, but he shows these 12-year-old kids what an old man can do. That's, that's for sure. He just, he just thrashes them. But this concept of seeing something happen that is wrong, seeing something happen that shouldn't happen, and getting involved in it, jumping into the middle of the fight is something that all of us can relate to. All of us can understand this concept of walking past something that we know is wrong and feeling that inner struggle of should I get involved in this or not? Should I jump into this or not? Because maybe it's not my business. Maybe it's not something I should do, but you know it's wrong and you've got to do something and you just, you don't know how to respond in those moments. I want you to know something about our God that you have to know because as we wrestle with these deep things and as we wrestle with these core beliefs about God and about the world and about the way this whole thing works, you got to know that God wants to jump into your fight. you got to know that God is not okay with what has been done to you and me. You have to know that at his heart, at his core, he wants to rescue you. For God so loved the world that he came to the world. God at his heart wants to jump in and be with you and rescue you and show you the way that it is supposed to be. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You gotta know this. God saw our plight. God saw us on the playground of life getting ravaged, getting beat up, getting just totally destroyed. And God says, I want to do something to stop the abuse. I want to do something to stop the addiction. I want to do something to stop the things that are happening to my creation. I want to stop it now. There is no way that I can get to them unless I become them. And Jesus says, I'll do it. I will put it on. I will become like them. I will deny being God and I will take on the form of a man and I'll go down and I'll be with them. But then he says, in order for me to truly stop the punches, in order for me to truly stop the abuse, 
I have to be able to stop what is killing them. I got to stop what is destroying them. And what is destroying them is the blackness. And you know what the blackness has at its core? The blackness has at its core death. It has death right in the middle of it. And you and I look at the blackness and we are scared of it. We look at it and we don't want it. We don't know what it is and it freaks us out. And from the time we're little kids, we're scared of the darkness. We don't want to go in the closet when the light's off. We're scared to death of it. And we think about what is going to happen after I die. And all of our life we have this gripping fear of dying and of what is going to happen to me. Our loved ones die and it causes us to go into this mode of mortality check where we just don't know how to function. Everyone is born with a fear of dying and a fear of the darkness. And Jesus says, I will go and I'll become a human. And not only that, but I will let death take me. And then I will take death out. And my people will never ever have to be afraid of dying again. And you will live in freedom and you will live in the light and you will fear nothing because the death has been defeated. And Jesus says, I am coming to do this for you. But now you and me that call ourselves followers of Christ have to understand that what Jesus did must be enforced. That what Jesus did must be told. Because how many times do we walk into a conversation where somebody says, I can't love a God that sends people to hell. And we never even understand how to even talk about that because we think, well, God must send people to hell because that's the way this whole thing works. Only to find out that God doesn't send people to hell. God is doing everything he can to pull people out of its clutches because they're already in hell. And they don't even know it. God is on our side. God is on your side. But he wants for you and I to let him into the fight. God wants you and I to enforce the victory of Jesus and let him into the fight. See, there are people all around us that are in misery that are in bondage, that are just destroyed. I just had a conversation with Jay before church and he just said, there are so many people right now that are just hurting. They're dying. Some of them literally, physically dying. And they cry out to God and they don't see any results and they're getting angry with God and they're saying, God, why? God, how? God, and he said to me, beautiful words that they don't know that God didn't have anything to do with this mess. God's not all about the darkness. God is all about bringing the light to counteract the darkness. God needs for you and I to enforce the victory and to begin to let him into the fight. I'm going to have Jeff come back up and we're going to we're going to worship some more. We're going to open up our hearts tonight and we're going to let God begin to speak to our hearts. Because if you're here tonight and you have experienced what I'm talking about, looking around you and seeing the darkness and seeing the way that it's destroying people, and you have failed to recognize that you carry the antidote inside of you for their pain, 
that you carry inside of you the rescue that they are drowning to receive, that you carry inside of you the light that can extinguish the darkness, then God has got to begin to bring that up inside of you. This last week, we got a phone call of a girl who has been ravaged with darkness. Demonic oppression, demonic influence, to the point that it was influencing her life so bad that it was, it was causing physical ailments inside of her, just like the story that we read in the Bible. And she said, I want to be free. Stuff's real. We prayed for her and God set her free. Because the darkness can't handle the light. And you got the light inside of you. The darkness has to flee where the light goes. And some of you here tonight are here because you've been drawn to the light of God. You've been drawn to something other than what you've seen because what you've seen is hopeless and destructive and it leaves you empty and you want more. And God says, I have what you need. Let me reach down and pull you out tonight. And you can open up your heart to Jesus. You can open your heart to God. Tonight, we're going to go through a, a few moments here of entering into a spiritual exercise. That some people would call it a ritual. Most of us in this room eat a meal every day multiple times a day. It's a part of our daily life. It's a part of what we do to stay healthy, to stay uh, functioning the way that we're supposed to. On Saturday nights, we participate in an exercise that is a spiritual meal. We come to these tables and we find food, bread. This is not just ordinary bread. I mean, it, actually, this is very just ordinary bread. But when we take it in our hands and we and we offer it to God, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a replication of something that we feel inside of our hearts. And it takes us back every single time to the moment when that light invaded the darkness. It takes us back in time to that moment when Jesus changed everything for us. It takes us back to the moment when God initially reached out his hand and says, now I'm pulling you out. And Jesus said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to dip it in the juice and I want you to thank me and remember me for what I did. So we do it every week. This is a time when we express our love and our worship to God. This is a time when we, that our followers of Christ, give everything to God, including our finances. This is a time when we write a check and say, God, you've given everything to me. This is the time when I'm going to honor you with a portion of what? You've blessed me with financially. And for some of you tonight, this is a time when you can open up your heart to God and you can receive salvation. This is a time when you can let the light penetrate the darkness of your heart. And so as we come to these tables tonight, I'm going to invite you to do as we do, which is to take this bread and juice and spend some time with God and let him begin to talk to you as we worship and as we just spend some 
reflective moments with God. But if you're here tonight and you want someone to pray with you, you want someone to explain things to you in a way that maybe is more conversational and one-on-one, just put your hand up when we all start moving around. We won't embarrass you. We won't make you come up here or anything, but we'll come to you. Just hold your hand up like this and we'll come and sit next to you. We'll talk to you. We'll pray with you. We'll give you whatever we have to give you. Freely it's been given to us and freely we just want to give it to you. Let's worship. Let's come. Come on. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com. 